Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Open City's on-demand audio tour of Greenwich Peninsula. My name's Merlin Fulcher, I'm the Open House Head of Tours. This Design District on-demand audio tour has been designed as an audio companion to your walk or cycle around Greenwich Peninsula today. But you can also listen and enjoy this tour at home or wherever you might be. Greenwich Peninsula, located at a bend in the River Thames, east of historic Greenwich and opposite the mouth of the River Lee, has historically been a peripheral area of London. It was farm and marshland until, in the 19th century, it became home to Europe's largest gasworks. Until the extension of the Jubilee Line and the construction of the Millennium Dome, this industrial legacy was a barrier to development of the peninsula. The Dome, now the O2 Arena, was intended to mark the start of an ambitious plan for a new urban centre. But a post-party wrangling about the area's future and the onset of the 2008 financial crash slowed progress considerably. In 2013, the majority of the peninsula was bought by developers Night Dragon, who set about one of the largest urban regeneration projects in Europe. The latest addition is Design District, already named by Time magazine as one of 2021's world's greatest places, and featuring a rare density of buildings by leading contemporary architects such as 6A Adam Kahn Architects and David Cohn Architects. This tour tells its story. There are nine listening points on this guide, the first of which is outside the Now Gallery. Feel free to track backwards and forwards between our chosen listening points, but please be aware there is a thought behind the order and number. All recordings were made in 2022. If you lose your way on the tour, you can find each listening point in the episode description below and a full map where you found the Design District On Demand audio tour on the Open City website. Right now, you're standing below the canopy of Marks Barfield's Greenwich Gateway Pavilions and the Now Gallery where architect Morgan Lewis will introduce you to the design district. So we're standing here beneath the canopy of the Marks Barfield Gateway Pavilion next to the Now Gallery. This is really the kind of heart of the peninsula. It's the public square outside the Millennium Dome kind of looms large in front of us. Behind you can see the kind of uh, hotel complex which looks like it belongs in the green zone and beyond that 
is Canary Wharf. This pavilion is the gateway to the design district, which is the kind of central core around what most of the, this huge master plan is rotating. So standing beneath the gateway pavilion, looking out at the design district, at the centre you have Salgas Cano's bubbly market pavilion, uh, which seems to have come straight out of the Mediterranean. Uh, on the left, you've got Architecture 00's concrete decks with enjoyably urban basketball court on the roof, wrapped in a wire steel mesh. Behind it, you've got Mole Architects, rusty red exterior. Beyond that, the H&A white metallic rounded structure. On the right-hand side, you'll see Barazzi Vega's dark and silvery cube. In between them, the kind of enigmatic, reflective, wedge-shaped 6A building. And behind that, David Kahn's postmodern red brick and green frame building and Adam Kahn's concrete shell. These are all European leading, young, exciting practices. So this master plan, which is due to stretch over 30 years, basically become home for up to 35,000 people, 15,000 flats, um, requires everything uh, beyond residential to make it a functioning urban quarter. And one of the intriguing things about this peninsula is it's surrounded by water on three sides. And although it's got these fabulously playful transport links like the Jubilee and the Thames Clipper and the cable car, it actually feels very much like its own kind of quarter. So it's very much a, a, a chance to kind of make a new town. And one of the interesting things is the developer uh, has decided um, to kind of sponsor a design district which kind of sits between the O2 Arena and Ravensbourne University and the more like functional institutional buildings at one end and the residential kind of quarter which is wrapping around the rest of the peninsula. The design district is a curious um, thing. It's kind of a selection of 16 four-storey pavilions designed by eight different architects, each of which got two buildings, not necessarily adjacent to each other, but to develop in parallel. It's kind of based loosely on an arabesque street plan uh, developed by originally Assemblage, which then became um, part of the practice H&A, which had done a couple of the buildings, which has completed a couple of the buildings. And the idea is that it provides low-cost, interesting, div functionally diverse, stylistically diverse space suitable for the creative industry, where potentially a print works, an architecture studio, an advertising studio, a photographer studio might all occupy neighboring buildings <coughs> and it will create the kind of synergy between them that will both provide employment for the residents of the peninsula and bring in creative talent. And it's kind of worth saying that the neighboring Ravensbourne University also does a lot of creative courses which can feed into the design district. Listening point two, the Millennium Dome, otherwise known as the O2 Arena. So we're standing outside the Millennium Dome, the building that kind of kicked off the redevelopment of this peninsula. A real new labour project um, to celebrate the year 2000. 
It's located near the Prime Meridian Dateline, which I presume was one of the reasons why it's located here. And the whole thing is a giant stretched pun on time. 365 meters in diameter, 12 spires, you get the picture. Although it was much criticized at the time for being kind of a wasteful extravaganza, it was built for under 50 million pounds, which now seems like an amazing bargain. Although it was much more than that to refurbish into the O2, which is its current function. And it does an excellent job as London's leading concert venue. It proved remarkably easy to transform for a building without walls or windows. To our right is the Tide, an elevated walkway by Dillas, Cavidio and Renfro Architects, uh, the famous New York practice behind the High Line, among other kind of brilliant cultural projects on both sides of the pond. It stretches to Tide Square on the other side of the peninsula, where we'll head in a moment. It's worth, once you get up to the Tide level, to turn around and review the public square and its enjoyable kind of artistic appendices like the Spire Monument that sits in the foreground. So we're now heading from the O2 up the stairs to the upper level of the Tide and we'll follow the Tide walkway to Tide Square facing the river and facing the entrance to the Lee River on the other side of the Thames. Listening point three, Tide Square. Coming off the raised Tide walkway, you descend into Tide Square where you suddenly realise uh, the beauty of the River Thames and the River Lee opposite and the intriguing Ravensbourne building behind you by Foreign Office Architects with its Penrose pattern facade and its round windows which don't correlate to floor plates, which gives it a curiously scaleless quality. The landscaping is quite high quality, designed by an interesting Edinburgh-based practice, Gross Max, using uh, local species of grasses and tide-related plants. And if you peer over the barrier to the edge of the River Thames, you can see the interesting remains of a pre-millennium dome land remediation scheme to do with protecting the tidal edge using reed beds. Um, which is a very beautiful moment. Looking down Olympia Way towards where the cable car comes into the peninsula, you'll notice the interesting Richard Rogers partnership ferry terminal, um, which kind of makes use of an older jetty structure, with an interesting arch structure. Uh, behind it, the Anthony Gormley sculpture, which is interesting from land and probably more interesting from the Thames Clipper because it kind of comes in and out of parallax focus as you go round it. Further up the peninsula, if you turn towards the north and the tidal wave development coming down the River Lee, you'll spot the Damien Hirst sculpture, one of many from his famous Venetian show from a couple of years ago. And also the curious little ferry that pops back and forth just across the River Thames to Millennium Island and back. So we're now going to head down Olympia Way with the SOM development on our right-hand side. Listening point four, Emirates Airline. 
Here we are standing outside the cable car entrance. I can't recommend it enough. Some people call it a white elephant, but it's a wonderful ride and you look over Silvertown, which is potentially the next wave of London development. And you get a feeling of the River Thames, not just as a London river, but as an estuary river. And this is where the Thames becomes really tidal and salty. Branded as the Emirates Airline after its part funding by UAE, it was designed by Wilkinson Air and constructed in a remarkable 15 months, opening in 2012 as part of London's Olympic redevelopment drive, connecting the Thames Peninsula to the Royal Docks and constructed by Doppelmayr and Severfield Watson structures. The elegant single cable structure is supported by two by four double-curved 90-metre steel towers, elegantly open-sided to reduce wind load. We're now going to head over to the jetty. Listening point five, the jetty. Follow the Olympian Way walkway that runs parallel to the river. As you cast your gaze down the river, look out for the beautiful silver fins of the Thames barrier. The jetty is a repurposed jetty, now used for community events like Farmopolis, which was a series of greenhouses which supported small allotments and dining events based upon local food ecology. Obviously, the entire peninsula and a lot of the River Thames had regular jetty structures all along it when the river was used much more for goods and uh, off offloading and uploading um, all the goods that London needed to function. It's a really good example of how urban regeneration in recent decades has become a bit softer and much more focused on not just providing the megastructure projects like Ravensbourne and Millennium Dome at one end of the peninsula and all the transport links, but also those places for community functions that are so necessary to kind of bed all the new residents of the peninsula into the local area. As part of that, the master developers, Night Dragon, have kind of sponsored a series of summer festivals at the Tide Square, which is where you just walk from. We're now going to walk from the jetty into the interior of the peninsula, looking at the residential architecture as we go and ending up at Central Park. Listening point six, the Waterman and the Aperture. Turning inland at the white apartment towers of the Waterman, follow Pilot Walk past the wedge-shaped Aperture building. We're standing outside the Waterman, a complex of two level blocks, a public square and two towers, designed by architects Pilbrown Partners, with interiors by Conrad Design. The proximity of the riverfront in Central Park offers the streets between the buildings longer views and a generous sense of space. We're now gonna walk past these interesting tower and five-storey uh, residential blocks, which are reasonably upmarket apartments, towards the Aperture, designed by DSDHA as a kind of hub community building for this neighbourhood at the base of the peninsula. If you have time, I really recommend you continue down the peninsula towards Greenwich Yacht Club, a fabulous building that is all rigging, which is 
ingeniously taken over an existing jetty and has a wonderful bar in it. And you can also see Millennium Village built before the millennium and a kind of previous generation's approach to sustainable housing. It's very high quality uh, interior spaces and is built around a really curious waterway full of wonderful natural species. And one of the things it points to is just the huge shift in scale that has taken place in London Riverside architecture over the past generation. We're now standing outside the aperture, uh, designed by DSDHA as a contemporary village hall. It sits really well on a triangular site, reminiscent a little bit of New York's famous Flatiron building. It's got inside it a restaurant, a bar on the upper levels, a nursery, a cinema room, a lecture hall. It is, of course, only open to those with key cards which come with owning a flat nearby. So it's not truly public, but it is an interesting, it points to an interesting future model for residential developments, where some of these facilities don't exist in the basement or the upper floors of the apartment block, but sit in freestanding, architecturally interesting pavilion buildings, which have got more of a public face. And it definitely feels more public than if it was locked away on the 14th story. We're now going to head towards Central Park. This, like the Millennium Dome, was one of those pieces of key infrastructure that was put in before the site was bought by Night Dragon and redeveloped, and is a kind of spine of the entire site. Listening point seven, Central Park. Keep along Pilot Walk until you reach the main park. Here we are in Central Park, at the base of the southern end of Central Park, looking towards a cute row of two-storey residential brick housing. Damien Hurst, who uh, is a famous ex-local resident who trained at the Goldsmiths University nearby in Newcross, uh, lived in the house on the far right uh, next to the repurposed Fuller's pub. He describes it as living at the end of the world. And uh, I remember living locally uh, almost a decade ago now, and uh, the entire site was unimaginably different. It was scrap metal yards and concrete facilities, and there was this weird white dome that you could see kind of towering above everything else at the other end of the peninsula. And now it actually looks quite low compared to some of the residential blocks going up. It's another sign of the extreme shift in scale over the last century. And of course, it's a, historically, a lot of the housing in, these, in this kind of area would have been much more like the housing you get as you drive out of London. Two-storey, close-knit, back-to-back terrace housing. Turning around, you'll see Optic Cloak, if you can indeed spot it. It's a fractured, shimmering, crystalline sculpture by the artist Conrad Shawcross that covers the vertical blades of the low carbon energy center, which takes waste as fuel to create hot water for the apartment blocks. This is efficient compared to every apartment or every apartment block having its own boiler, and also makes it easier to shift towards more alternative and renewable sources of energy. We're now gonna go on a long walk up Central Park towards 33, which is the curious 
intriguing timber structure at the other end of the park, designed by Studio Weave uh, in collaboration with designers Hato and illustrator Jake Over. Listing point eight, number 33. Follow the length of the park back up towards the design district in the direction of the O2. We're outside uh, number 33. Uh, it's a three-story decorative folly that mimics the form and dimensions of Victorian Terrace and created as a viewing platform uh, to see the design district under construction as well as a lot of the pavilion, as, as well as lots of the peninsula under construction. I think anyone who spent any time in London, let alone England, uh, recognises the dimensions, the proportions of this house. And it's curious, even without walls, there is something very domestic feeling about it. It's a nod to the few remaining Victoria terraces that do survive on the southern end of the peninsula and was commissioned in 2018 by Night Dragon and Now Gallery. We've already mentioned uh, Damien Hurst and Anthony Gormley's contribution towards public art on the peninsula. This is part of a really interesting public art walk um, called Artline, which stretches over the River Lee and up the Lee Valley, and I heartily recommend it. There's some other really great public sculpture on the peninsula, including uh, a bullet from a shooting star, a witty sculpture by Alex Chinnick in the form of an upturned electricity pylon, located near the highly unusual Thameslide Golf Driving Range designed by Kettle Collective in 2015. Another must-see further downriver is Richard Wilson's A Slice of Reality, a one-to-eight scale vertical slice of an ocean-going ship which has been sitting on the foreshore of the Thames on the peninsula's north bank since 2000. And the aforementioned Anthony Gormley's Quantum Cloud. We're now going to head from number 33 back through the design district and it's really worth going along the western edge of it, which will be the public face of it, once the new bus terminal at the Jubilee Line is constructed. And you know it's the public face of it because David Conn has put massive graphic font on the front of his building, which currently looks like the back of his building, saying Design District. Listening point nine, North Greenwich Station. Here we are outside the Jubilee Line station, one of the critical bits of infrastructure put in alongside the Millennium Dome to inaugurate and begin the process of redeveloping this 60-acre, 60-hectare peninsula site. Uh, designed originally by the architect Wall Olsop, it's got these beautiful blue mosaics uh, inside. Like a lot of the Jubilee Line, it was a conspicuous high architectural patronage. And was originally designed with floating gardens um, and a, meant to be a much larger atrium that would bring light deep into its bowels, hence the reflective surfaces. One of the interesting, uh, one of the interesting features of a development of this scale are of course the ghost projects that come and go as it changes hands between different developers and as different developers entice planners to buy into their scheme. One of these ghost projects, which hasn't made it from the original planning application to construction drawing set yet, was a multi-level, very interesting transport interchange uh, between, which would create a multimodal transport infrastructure hub between the Jubilee line and buses and potentially cars 
at this end of the peninsula, which was due to take place between three beautifully, beautiful sculptural residential towers. It will be interesting to see what the developers come up with in its place. Here we are at the end of the tour, back underneath the canopy of the Mark Sparfield Peninsula and outside the Now Gallery, looking back at the design district. I think this is a good moment to think of how unusual it is for a scheme, for a site of this size to be owned and developed by a single developer over a single master plan. So you should definitely come back in 5, 10, 15, 20 and 30 years to see how it's developed, to see if this design district has really taken off as a place that creative industries want to settle and can settle. And if the neighbourhoods that the scheme has been broken down into, these eight residential neighbourhoods, each with their own pocket park, have taken root. Please like, comment, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. From Open City, the On Demand Audio team and me, Merlin Fulcher, goodbye. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.